that's probably five seconds. Okay. I don't know. I think instead of doing a little bit of patter, we should get right into it because I am upset about the premise of this episode. I don't know if I, I hate this I episode. Did... Oh, you, you got some of that? Come on. No, I wonder if that might be the case. I felt that way. I, I assume I know what you're talking about, but go ahead and we'll find out. Hi, everyone. We're cutting right to the chase. This is the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. Hi, I'm Kyle. Oh, my goodness. Are you? <laughs> I'm Kyle. I'm here. I'm totally checked in. And this is a show where we watch the television series, the Big Bang Theory, uh, and we talk about it. We used to try to figure out why other people watch it, but we've been watching it so long now that I guess we are just those people. We've just become other viewers, but we still complain about it, and then we try to recommend things we actually enjoy. And uh, today we watched Season 5, Episode 22, which is officially titled The Stag Convergence. Uh, so, uh, so, men- uh, so, so titled because it uh, is in reference to Wallowitz's stag party. And uh, here's my beef with this Which, episode. Does anyone oh, even call Does anyone even call it a stag party in, like, I've heard British people call it that, and I assume, I know it's like a technical title, but does anyone in America actually call it a stag party? I have absolutely called it a stag, but I think only because in reference to the British thing. Like... Only, I think, in these here parts, it is, when spoken about sincerely, always a bachelor party. I, I think only call it a stag party, because I think it's a funny phrase. Very good, very good. Okay, enough of that. Yeah. Moving on. But, well, it's I, it's weird, though. I mean, one of the things that isn't ever really explained about this episode, or I just missed it, because I wasn't paying close enough attention, is the, the stag-slash-bachelor party they have is in some sort of, like, stuffy wine room that looks kind of like an, an old gentleman's lounge, and I have no idea where they are, but I have been in such rooms. There is, like, a room like that in the law school I went to, uh, but I don't know. It's like, th- there's talk before this that they're going to have a strippers for a party, and Wallowitz is like, I'm not that guy anymore. And instead, yeah, they have this, like, very buttoned-down, classy uh, wine and whiskey dinner thing. But anyway, so the whole episode is, yeah, uh, Wallowitz has uh, a bachelor party, and he has all of his bros out for it, including a few people that we've never seen before. Will Wheaton, because he's got to get those checks. Uh, I still hate them so much. Uh, and uh, Kripke comes along, because I guess... He's a friend. He just yeah. Shows I guess up. I think we could call this episode every every male character in the show. It was yeah, basically yeah. like we we like, had this is our excuse to use all of them. We noticed there was an empty chair around the table, and so we needed someone else to come in. And then uh, there really isn't a B plot to speak of, except that the ladies are uh, getting together to send out invites for the wedding, and. Uh, there's some talk about uh, what's going to happen, like, on on the big, big night of. Amy asks Bernadette, like, what what's going to be your first sexual position? How are you going to consummate? But that's really as far as that goes. The, the bigger uh, uh, re- revelation in this episode is that uh, Raj, when giving his best man speech, uh, makes a few references 
to Wallowitz's sordid past, uh, including this time where, uh, oh, I can't remember the specific circumstances, but a couple of the guys had uh, a prostitute pretend to be Jewish um, for, for some we... sort of goof. I think we saw that episode. I think it was because uh, they mentioned it being in Vegas. I believe we watched the episode in Vegas. Uh, I think because Wallowitz has just gotten like, he's sad for some reason. I can't remember why he's sad, but they decide that in order to cheer him up, they're going to pay uh, Vegas. Pro- remember? Because this is the one where well, Raj keeps using the, <laughs> I know you don't. This was the one, I think the episode was called The Hooker or something or other, because Raj keeps calling her a hooker, and then uh, Leonard is like, you can't call her a hooker. That is a, that is a um, an impolitic phrase to use. And Raj is like, oh, I'm sorry, prostitute? And the way he says prostitute is really cute. Oh, yeah. Well, now you say that, I remember that part of it. Um, and yeah, then at the so... end of the episode, the joke is that, like, she pretends to be into Wallowitz and uh, and pretends to be Jewish, but Wallowitz isn't fooled for a second, but he still has sex with her. Okay. Well, so, yes, they make reference to that. Uh, and also to a time at, I think it was an anime convention, where Raj and Wallowitz uh, almost double-teamed a uh, chubby girl in a Sailor Moon costume. Um, almost? Were... They very... They did. Well, it sounds like Raj got the, the worse half of it. It didn't, uh, that Wallowitz uh, had a lot more fun than he did. Um, but anyway, the, 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 and here's the problem I have with this episode, is as, as Raj is regaling the, the, the crowd with these tales, Wallowitz is like, oh, guys, come on. I'm not that man anymore. This comes out of nowhere. This comes, if anywhere just from a place of, of shame uh, and a lack of acceptance. This is, this is Wallowitz trying to conform himself to, to the person Bernadette wants him to be. Because uh, I think this season, all of the personalities of the dudes have really toned down. You know, like Raj is no longer like a, a weird drunk asshole. Uh, Wallowitz is no longer like a as much of a forward sex criminal because as as Kyle, I think you've rightly pointed out, Amy has taken on that role. Um, but it's never there hasn't really been like a good explanation for that. But now, um, yeah, w- Wallowitz is is taking on this character of like I'm a reformed man, you know. Bernadette set me right, and it is it's it's bullshit, and I hate it. And then Bernadette, um, so uh, Will Wheaton, because he's horrible, I think, as a person and in character, records all this and immediately posts it online. Bernadette sees this and is like, oh my god, I'm scandalized! Wallowitz hasn't told me about literally every single sex act he's ever participated in! Which is also something just fucked up (laughs) that I just like, hey, fucking maybe, you know, live your own life and the past stays where it is. Alright, just love the man you know and leave leave who he was alone. Um, But yeah, like, what is this? Why? I just, mm, I don't can't support this union i hate it uh and yeah i I find nothing offensive about uh this episode overall i think it's a perfectly serviceable episode i forgot to rate it i'm gonna say like i don't know five out of 13 maybe a six but ah it's fraud fraudulent episode the 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 writers uh i think have abandoned 
uh, again, any sort of consistency for these characters. I'm going to shut up for a moment. I kind of just went off the rails there, but I just, oh, I really, I really hated this about Lalowitz and, and Bernie, Bernadette in this episode. <laughs> and Bernie Sanders. He just does not come off well in this episode of the Big Bang Theory Theory. You know, he just, I think he shows a lot of disrespect the way that he dresses warmly. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny if he had been, I don't know why, it's just now I'm picturing him in, like, photoshopped into that sequence at that table, which you're right, is weird, like, downstairs during the bachelor party. Yeah, I assumed it was, like, my best guess is that they're in some kind of, like, a whiskey bar or something, like a yeah. private room at a whiskey bar, that's, like... Who knows, but that's the one that makes yeah. the most sense. Um, and the and... room I'm thinking of at the law school was called the Pope Room, where we would bring our, our fancy drinks for our, our one-credit, once-a-week law and literature class, uh, which was a book club. It was pretty cool. We'd make dinner sometimes. Uh, that's what law school's about, everybody. You should check it out. I, don't know. I knew it! I, yeah, it's all a sham. It's pretty easy. Uh, Kyle, what were you going to say? Uh, no, I don't know what to rate this. Uh, 6 out of 13. But, uh, 5 out of 13. Um, I mean, I liked it, I guess, because it, it had, uh, it was, uh, an arc episode, which we don't get a lot of, insofar as it moves the ball down the yeah. field towards, uh, towards, uh, Bernadette and Wallowitz's yep. We've had too many wedding. consecutive Monster of the Week episodes, and it's glad, it's good to have a yeah. myth arc episode, myth, finally. Yeah. So that was, and it does make reference to the things that have happened in the Big Bang Theory. But I did think you were right, both in that, like, I think that there are two weird things. Uh, first, in how upset Bernadette um, gets about these new revelations, and also in, like, she didn't know or suspect uh, any of, like, as, I mean, probably the best moment in this episode, in sort of a real way, is Bernie. Debt not getting mad at uh, Wallowitz, but her getting mad at Penny. Like, wait, you were the one who hooked me up with this guy. Did you know he was a sexual monster? And Penny oh, just yeah. being like, Penny just being like, well, yes, but I, I sort of was, I was fulfilling an obligation, and I figured you'd see right through him in five seconds. And definitely by the time you'd been dating him for a couple of weeks, I don't really know how this is my fault. Yeah, that was, I think, um, a genuinely funny moment where. <laughs> Penny really just washes her hands of the situation. Like, I don't know how it couldn't have been clear this was a sex pest. Like, everyone is constantly ragging about it. He is disgusting. Like, we're all pointing it out. Like, if you don't see this, how how is this not on you? And she storms out of the room at that point. Um, but Bernadette, yeah, it's, not Penny. Yeah, 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 Bernadette. No, Pe- Penny is very cool about it. <laughs> It's 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 honestly pretty funny, but yeah, for it's for this episode to happen, Bernadette and Wallowitz like had to have never met before this episode. <laughs> like they had to like this has to be an arranged marriage where. Well, just... actually, you know, if they had done it that way, it would be kind of. Can you have, like that would have uh, speaking of ret- retcons that would have made this all more interesting if it had actually been the case that Wallowitz was constantly trying to hide like all evidence of his past craziness from Bernadette at every turn that would have made it sort of you know funny like you know she's coming over to his house and he just has to he's like he like calls Raj over to like quickly hide his giant box of 
pornography and sex toys. And then, you know, but of course, in a classic, uh, in, in sort of a Faulty Towers-esque faux pas, he misses one or two of them and he has to pass that off as, no, 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 that's totally some nerdy thing. You don't know about this? All the, all the LARPers have one of these giant uh, rubber toys with a fist on the end of it. That reminds me, and yet, like, this is a friend I, I remained friends with for years, but we, we no longer speak after a, a much more significant inciting incident, but this was a sign of darker troubles to come, where uh, we were working together at a, at a service job, and one of our co-workers uh, came by, who was a total babe, and uh, my co-worker friend was watching Pokemon on the, the TVs we have. She came in and was like, ha ha ha, what the fuck is this? And he's like, oh, yeah, Pokemon, yeah, Nick's into that. He loves... Oh, that. threw you under the bus? Yeah. I mean, and, not, not even threw you under the bus. Like, he was the one who was into Pokemon, and he... He, he, like, he loves he, Pokemon. He projected onto you. I have no interest you. in this shit. Yeah. And I just turn around like, what the fuck is this foul play? And ooh, ooh, neither the first nor the last time. Well, actually, maybe that was the first. Not the last time, but oh, oh, that mm, just betrayal. But yeah, it's uh, but these these desperate attempts to be like, whoa, 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 I'm I'm not the the nerd, the pervert you think you see. Like it doesn't work because the the pervert comes from within. You can you can hide your Pokemon's anywhere. You can hide your weird. Princess Leia sex toys in as many lock boxes as you like, but you know whoever you're with, they're gonna see you drooling at that next Princess Leia sex toy. You can't, you can't control it. The filth comes from inside. So anyway, that's that's I think the lesson. There's so much more we can talk about, but just the the, the premise of this episode fundamentally upsets me. Yeah, it's um, weird, and also along the same lines as I thought you were gonna point out, nothing in. Of the, of the stuff that Wallowitz has probably done, I'm sure he's done horrible, horrible things, but of the stuff that actually gets named in this episode, none of it was that bad. This is none of the creepy stuff. This yeah, is I none mean, of the, like, the, the three like things... overbearing trying to trick women into sex. Like, this is perfectly, like, fun, playful, consensual stuff. Well, there is one very dark, for, uh, dark uh, one-liner, which we'll come back to. Just remind me before we finish talking about this episode. But uh, the three things specifically listed, which I think two of which, again, have come up before, is he lost his virginity to his second cousin, which, yeah, but whatever. He, uh, yeah, he had consensual sex with a prostitute in Las Vegas, and he had a three-way with Raj with an overweight woman dressed like Sailor Moon. None of those are, yeah, like... they're, all, they're if, all fine. If those three things were part of my sexual history, probably the first one is the one I would be most embarrassed about. But even kind then, you know, it's like it's like I come from Georgia. What do you expect? But you also remind me of a thought, what I thought was another funny line, which uh, when, when Bernadette finds out about Wallowitz past uh, yucky liaisons, Amy's like, hey, do you have a hot cousin you can sleep with? That'll show him. Yeah. I, I liked her, her reason. That's very... <laughs> that's very uh, uh, pornographic logic, isn't it? It's like, ah, oh, someone has committed incest against you. Obviously, <laughs> you should sleep with your cousin. That'll show him. Uh, yeah, always just bringing it to the next level of horniness. That's, that, if there were, like, a weird, like, softcore pornography... Um, Red Shoe Diary spinoff of this where Amy solves 
sexy mysteries with with logic and and the hard sciences uh i i might support that i would i should pitch that i guess i don't know my Bialik, she's got that jeopardy cred now she can keep just riding this train up further and further oh my god now okay this raises the so is there a you know how sometimes there are licensed porn parodies of things do you know that i can't be breaking news to you well no i didn't i i know there are many unlicensed uh, well, I I mean, they're maybe maybe not, but they're what I mean is like they're they're official enough that they can like they're like this is it's not like Star Wars it's like the, or this is or Sex Trek it's like this is the Star Trek triple X pornography. So I assume some legal sure. money has changed the chance there for them to be able to do that. Where all yeah, of the characters. Yeah. So is there a is there like a Big Bang Theory triple X parody? There, like I can't imagine there isn't. I've never thought to look it up because, I mean, is that anyone's thing? Like, well, okay, you know, it's real. I just googled it. Com- it's real. But being a nerd and watching someone have sex with a hot girl—that's the pornography experience. To watch the Big Bang Theory pornography is to just add another middleman to what you would already be doing. That's hmm. I don't like that. I that don't... is weird. You know what's funny about the just looking at this? A lot more dudes than you normally. You know, it's like normally uh, in a porno, they, you know, they try to keep the ratio of men and women. But this is a show where famously there's one attractive woman and a bunch of dudes. So, huh, interesting. Uh, all right, let's not dig any deeper into this right now. Although maybe we can do a special episode on it later after we've exhausted all other content. Along with, just to remind our audience, I haven't forgotten my plan to eventually come back to uh, digging deeper into this phenomenon of erotic Big Bang Theory fan fiction, which apparently is also a very real phenomenon. Okay, are you are you talking about with the last episode that you brought up, or no? I just this with your current Google search because. I think um, last episode, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, just brimming over with with sexual energy, and I think this might be two for two of you bringing up the idea of Big Bang Theory sexy fanfic. Well, no, that I mean, yeah, I made a I made a comment about last week, but many moons ago. Yes, uh, yes, you did. Which, with which your road brain just doesn't uh, your short term. Well, memory no, Kyle, it's because I think I remember the thing that happened two weeks ago more it's than I not... do whatever you're about to reference. <laughs> yes, that's fair. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I we were once having a conversation. And I was like, "Is there Big Bang? Is there Big Bang Theory like uh, Rule Thirty Four stuff on the internet?" Is there, like, erotic fan fiction about Sheldon? And I looked it up, and just very quickly, I didn't read any of them, but I just looked it up, and there was. This was, like, a year or two ago. And I kept meaning to come back around to it, and we never did. Uh, But one of these days, I feel like it's worth uh, looking into that, if we're really going to be completionist about this show and its pop cultural landscape. But anyway, no, you're right. I'm probably making the audience uncomfortable. As an aside... Uh, there was a comment someone left on our Facebook page, which was like, ah, you know, I really dig this show. I relate a lot more to Nick than I do to Kyle, though. Boy, howdy. And I was like, yeah, nothing that's happened recently is probably going to change that very much. If I remember the same comment, though, I I think they said they related to Josh more than Kyle. So, uh, (laughs) I mean, let's, let's see how we all feel about that. 
But before we get any more carried away, you wanted me to remind you of a dark line that you wanted to get back to. Yeah, I mean, it, it might not be that dark, but at the very, when they've reconciled over all this dark history, Bernadette says, is there anything else weird, is there any other weird sex stuff that you haven't told me about? And he goes, uh, well, not really. He's like, well, one or two things, oh, but they were overseas. Right. I'll tell you about them later. Which Did imp- you immediately think Thailand stuff? <laughs> I didn't, I mean, yeah, I immediately, like, that's obviously a reference to sexual tourism, which could be anything as banal as, you know, having sex with some hookers in Amsterdam. Or, yeah, it could be any, or even if it was, you know, hookers in Thailand, it would. it could just be, you know... Uh, prostitutes in Thailand, but yeah, or it could be something very, very dark. Well, see, I think I I had to do a double take because my immediate thought was yes, sex tourism. But then I thought it's not necessarily sex tourism. He could have just been like on a trip and had sex with somebody, you know. But there is no way that anyone that knows what kind of creep Wallowitz is and knows what kind of uh, that creep means in the real world, <laughs> like, has seen a Wallowitz in the wild and knows what he's like, is not going to hear that line and immediately think, oh, right, yeah, like, uh, some sort of illegal filth. <laughs> like, that's... Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I think you're right to, to read it dark, because I did too. I, I tried yeah. to wash it out of my mind, but it, it was gross. Well, it's 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 probably, so uh, you sh- maybe you're probably going to have to cut this part out, but just, I think I told you about this at the time, Nick, but uh, I had to go uh, in for... Oh, 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 what's happening? What's happening? <laughs> no, I had to go in for jury duty, and it was, they were selecting jurors for a particular, it wasn't like you go in for jury duty and, you know... They question you for whatever trials they have upcoming. It was like, no, this is a specific federal trial. We are looking for jurors specifically for this trial. And when they brought us in, like, they made us fill out a questionnaire. And then they also had, like, the judge just straight out tell us, like, listen, before you even go into this, we are going to tell you that uh, the things that this person is accused of doing over while uh, the, the sexual crimes this person is accused of committing overseas are so heinous that uh, we don't really want to ask you about them in the pretrial, but we have to ask you about them, even if it traumatizes you, just because there is no way to get a fair jury until we have gotten very deep into your feelings about people committing like sexual predation overseas. So we're sorry if that's triggering for all of you, but uh, here we go. Juror number, or potential juror number one, step up to the bench. That rules. There's no way that's getting cut because uh, this came up. At, so I, hey everyone, in case everyone forgot, I am a public defender and I went to a work conference over these last few days where we talked about a recent uh, Montana Supreme Court case. And by recent, I mean it came down a week or two ago where the Montana Supreme Court uh, <laughs> made the wise decision that said, you know what? <laughs> You can only bring up that a guy's nickname is Skullfucker so many times at trial before a jury's going to convict him of anything. <laughs> like, that's... It's... You can maybe once or twice in passing note that the, the defendant's nickname is Skullfucker and that he made some gross jokes. 
But you, you gotta call it quits on how many times you call him Skullfucker before you know that the jury's just gonna think he's a real creep, you know? So, yeah, uh, yeah that's how that's what the law is like, everybody. <laughs> that's, yeah. That, and that's also, um, just a side note, especially in, like, criminal defense work, why I really have a distaste for, like, any the, the veneer of professionalism that we have to maintain. <laughs> it's like we're, we're constantly dealing with such yucky stuff. <laughs> But you gotta, you gotta wear your suit. You gotta keep a straight face. It's, uh it's just anyway. The law is absurd. Nuck, nuck, nuck. We're we're talking yeah. about something else though. Yeah, that <sighs> guy got sentenced to two hundred and ten years. I found out the other day. Oh well, I'll be, maybe maybe he'll get some good time. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, um. Anything else about this episode? Like, I've got tiny other little bits I could get into, but that hits most oh, of my big points. I mean, so I maybe this shouldn't be surprising, but I almost—I won't say that I felt super bad for Wallowitz by the end of this episode, but I did feel like um, I felt bad that he basically one of the things this episode underlined is he has no friends. Like, his friends are terrible to him. I mean, uh, like this whole episode, like the big joke of the of the stag party is literally like when when they're all doing toast him, like nobody can say anything nice about him. Even even Raj, who obviously loves him dearly, just like, you know, accidentally ruins his life. Well, so yeah, but that's when you say he doesn't have any friends, like Raj accidentally, like you just said, ruins his life. That's Raj is a friend. Raj is genuine. He, it's it's Will Wheaton who ruins his life. That's Will true. Wheaton is the one who records it and also it says some sort of fucking gross early internet line like, "Oh God, this is going all over the interwebs." Mm, fuck, I hate him. Yeah, uh, no, Ra- Raj is a friend indeed, and if anything, most of his speech up until that point. And it's a little annoying, is about like, hey everybody, here's a bunch of situations where you think Wallowitz and I like probably would have made out if we were any other two people, but no, it was all just bro stuff. But <laughs> here's some other situations where we totally Eiffel Towered a lady at anime convention. Waka waka waka! Yes, I guess um, that's fair. Um, that, that's well, and bro. Sheldon is really, really rude to him, but uh, that's just Sheldon being Sheldon. Master Supreme! Sheldon rules. I, I wasn't gonna get into it because his jokes aren't that funny, but they're the funniest jokes he's ever told. I do think uh, I do think I really respect you, Bazinga. I don't. Is uh... yeah, that's great. Well, it's there's a something I've always wanted to tell you, and that's that I really think you're one of the most intelligent and hardworking people that I've ever met. There's this one thing. It's not true. Bazinga. Boy! Yeah. That's pretty good. Like, I'm not even kidding. It's, I love it. <laughs> no, we can tell. This is the happiest I've heard you in months, and it's about this. Um, the other thing, uh, and this is the last thing, and then we can move on, is uh, the uh, what's his, what's the name of the comic book store owner guy oh poor Stuart. yeah Stuart's life just apparently continues to uh go off the rails this show has thoroughly found the arc it wants Stuart to have and it is not a good one no no yeah Stuart um casually sidles up to leonard and i'm actually coming up a little short if you help me pay for this uh 
cover for dinner tonight if you want to buy my watch. And my grandfather's watch. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the incredible sentimental value. Uh, and his <laughs> his toast to Lalowitz is really just about how uh, he sees how their, their life is developing together and they, they, he sees the, the budding and wonderful foundation of a strong and developing relationship and he's like, and I'm 37 and alone and my life is shambles. But it also reminded me of, uh, in my brief time working in a comic book shop, like, if, as, like, if he is the sole employee and proprietor, that seems like an accurate depiction of that lifestyle. It is, especially if he is not just whoring himself out for nonstop magic cards, which seems to be the only way to keep one of those businesses alive. Oh boy. I, poor Stuart, you're, you're a soldier to a lost cause. Yeah. No. It's a brutal... It's like, I'm surprised the show is like, knows enough about nerd culture to know that those guys are constantly on the verge of going under, but it definitely gets it uh, pretty accurate. Yeah, you know, I didn't really think about that. That uh, I think it would be pretty easy... If, if the nerds were any younger, they could very easily idealize or, or idolize uh, the, the comic ship, the shop, but they are... <laughs> They are of the age where they can look at themselves side by side and say, oh, oof, hard scrabble, <laughs> tough going, bud. Because, yeah, it is a tough industry to, to stay alive. On that note, do we want to talk about other things in mediums that were once dying and have now become the overwhelming bully culture of the, bully culture of the modern age? <laughs> no, I think I'm good. Okay, uh, so... I have kind of a half-assed one because I think everybody's watching it, but uh, I can go first, or do you want to cue it up today, Kyle? Uh, no, go ahead. All right. So, uh, also, I kind of got carried away. Uh, this is part of the show, everybody, where we make a hard turn from uh, watching and listening to uh, discussing the actual episode to making our nerdy recommendations of the week. And uh, I am recommending something that I'm not quite finished with. But am thoroughly enjoying, which is the Peacemaker on the HBO. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not gonna get too carried away with it because. Do you really parents... want? Do you really want to taste it? That song. Okay, here's here's how I will describe the Peacemaker. Uh, spinoff of the Suicide Squad itself, a soft reboot. Oh, where they're like, so we made this movie, The Suicide Squad. Uh, uh, but it was bad, and so we asked James Gunn to make it again, and we just put a the on it, and we're like, yeah, sorry, everybody, we're just gonna, we're just gonna move on with our lives, <laughs> and so the Peacemaker, uh, gets his own, um, limited series spinoff TV show, which is currently on HBO, and I will not tell you anything about the, the show itself, you can just watch it if you want, because it's great. What I will tell you is that the, <laughs> the very brief snippet of lyrics uh, to the song that Kyle just sang are from the theme song to the show, uh, which is by the Norwegian band Wigwam, uh, who are uh, all in their 40s. Uh, that song is only about 10 years old, in spite of sounding like an 80s glam band, and that's because they are a modern glam band. And the lyrics are absolute gibberish uh, 
for instance, the the chorus over and over again is this, do you really want to taste it, which could be anything. I don't know. I think it is mostly in reference to the good times. And the, the, he, the heavy line that the song ends on is, throw the dog the dog invisible, invisible bone. bone. Yes. yes. And uh, it's that kind of just fun, confident, insane nonsense uh, that is the Peacemaker. So, yeah, just just go check it out. Uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll say this one other thing. Um, if you haven't ever seen any of James Gunn's work, what he seems to kind of specialize in is taking really ridiculous characters um, and taking the character seriously, but still putting them in, like, fun, insane situations. So, with uh, your Peacemaker here, for instance, uh, he is an insane, absurd character. He is treated with genuine pathos, and he is fighting uh, an absurd, over-the-top, ridiculous fight. Uh, on the one hand, that kind of seems like <laughs> James Gunn should maybe branch out from doing that a little bit, I think. Uh, but he is great at it. So, yeah, watch his show. Uh, Kyle, your turn. Yeah, I just want to say I also loved Peacemaker every episode of it. I think I, I just didn't get – I didn't recommend it because I thought it was too uh, – it was – yeah. Well, I'm glad I, I'm glad you did. Um, I didn't think I could sum it up or do it justice, but that was a great wreck. Um, so mine, in a totally different, it's about a different kind of superhero, an intellectual superhero, <gasps> uh, uh, a man of great, uh, great brilliance. And I'm referring, of course, to Hercule Poirot. I uh, I haven't actually seen the new movie yet, but uh, there's a there's a famous, well, how do I start about this? So there's this lady named Agatha Christie. She wrote a bunch of really famous mysteries. She's probably still famous enough that a lot of people have heard of her, but I don't think we all really appreciate how famous she used to be. Like, she used to be, like, like Stephen King or even, like, J.K. Rowling-level famous. Like, her books, like, sold Harry Potter numbers, which is weird to think about now because, like, nobody... Like, people don't generally read her work anymore. Um, she was so upset about trans people, and everyone's like, what's this broad talking about? Wow, we just like mysteries. Yeah, that's a joke. She's been dead since the 70s. Yeah, she wrote most of her work in, like, in like the 30s, well, in between, like, the 30s and the 50s. Um, and they're all mysteries. She was hailed as, like, one of the greatest mystery writers who ever lived. She wrote many famous mysteries and plays. Um for instance, uh, And Then There Were None, which is also called Ten Little Indians, which was originally called something else that was racist. And uh, and they're all great. Uh, as oh, Well, I shouldn't say they're all great. I should say every one that I've ever like come across in the wild. I was in a production of Ten Little Indians as the murderer, and I loved that. And for whatever reason, I think because there was a new movie coming out and because I'm stressed with work, I was like, I need something that's going to be... Oh, no, I know what... It... I remember why. I was in a Starbucks, and they just had a stuck pile of books, and it was like, I don't know, take one. And they had, like, the first couple uh, novels in the series, and so I, t and they, and so I just took them. Um, and so uh, Agatha Christie, not all of her stories are, are about, like have the same format or about the same detective, but her most, uh, many of her most famous stories involve the same detective, who's this little guy from Belgium named Hercule Poirot. So if you've ever heard of Murder on the Orient Express, which was, again, recently a movie, 
That's Hercule Poirot. He's a little French guy, or I'm sorry, Belgian guy. He's kind of like Monk in that he's like a little obsessive compulsive about things, although not as self-destructively. And, you know, he's solving mysteries in like the 40s and the 50s, you know, or actually earlier than that, in like the 20s and the 30s and the 40s. You know, all of these parlor, basically rich people. He's solving mysteries, murder mysteries uh, involving rich people. Actually, the probably the best baseline, if you've never seen what, if you've ever seen Knives Out or if you've ever seen uh, Clue, those are two movies that are both obviously heavily inspired by Agatha Christie stories. Um, anyway, so Hercule Poirot is just this smart little Belgian guy who manages to solve mysteries in a way that's kind of... Uh, like, I like it more than I like, frankly, how Sherlock Holmes solves mysteries, because Sherlock Holmes is always like, aha, you didn't notice, like, the the dirt that could only have come from a quarry in northern Campshire, so it must have been this guy, obviously, or only a professional trapeze artist could have gotten in this window. Which one of you used to be a professional trapeze artist? So that's, that's Sherlock Holmes. Hercule Poirot is just like, I don't know, it seems like you all kind of wanted this person dead. Uh, could have been any of you. I guess we'll just figure out which one of you wanted the person dead the most and which one of you has, like, could have, like, been the most successful at framing the others. And uh, I feel like I'm losing the thread here. Sorry. But long story short, I read the very first one, which was uh, The Affair at Siles, and I also read uh, I'm Reading Murder on the Orient Express, and I read uh, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, and those are all great. I would recommend all of them. They're great because, um, frankly, I couldn't I couldn't figure out who the murderer was. I consider myself pretty good at this stuff. It's usually pretty obviously the person where the writer is like, ah, I bet you don't think it's that person, but it was. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and what's great about her books is she doesn't really do that. She's like... She's like, ah, I bet you think it's this person. Well, it can't have been him. Ah, but did you think it was this person now? Well, it's not him either. And she literally, like, takes you through every person. And at some point in the story, you will think, ah, well, uh, you will suspect every person in the story. And then, you know, you will slowly watch watch them get weeded out. And then the person it is is often the last person you you expected, which is pretty hard to pull off. So I would recommend any of the Hercule Poirot mysteries that you can find. Uh, The one I read that was the that really blew my socks off, which many people say is her greatest mystery novel, is uh, is The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, which um, is fantastic and which has one of the single greatest twists to a murder mystery that I've ever seen. I don't want to spoil it, so I'll just say, if you're, you know, if you don't mind a little antiquated stuff, uh, you should read that one. It's fun. It's great. I liked it a lot. Uh, the other thing I will say... Um, just in general reading her work is, again, writing in the 1940s and 50s. It's not super racist, but only because there aren't, like, any people of color in it to be racist towards. But every now and then they will talk about, like, it'll just be like, oh, we all painted our faces dark and we pretended to be, and then there's that word, and it's like, wow, this yeah. really was used quite casually in this time period, wasn't it? Even even in a room full of exclusively white people, it's like it's like some sort of fucked up old version of the Bechdel protest. Where like, can you get a room full of nothing but white people, and two of them still look at each other and go, "Hey, did you go to the racism party last week?" <laughs> oh, anyway, all right. So. 
Well, well thank you, Kyle. I, you know, like, our, our iTunes reviews, the, the negative reviews that we get are invariably some sort of version of these motherfuckers don't even like sitcoms. And you know what? You're probably right. Uh, and that's because on this show, you're going to get recommended in the same episode the limited series of Peacemaker and several Agatha Christie novels. Eat our shit! All right, people? <laughs> if you love us, hooray! Thanks. Thanks for coming with us. And if not, go read a book. I do wish there were some way to, like, trade... I mean, obviously we can't, but I often think that, like, if we could just trademark the Big Bang Theory theory as, like, the name of the podcast, and then we could just uh, get two other people to do our job who just unequivocally like the show, definitely replace me first, because I think a show that was just you and anyone else would do better than this. But uh, a show that replaced both of us with just two people who are like, no, yeah, this is great, it's great, it's funny, I love it, would do so much better. Well, apparently... (laughs) Fans are already clamoring for you and Josh, so my fate's been sealed. <laughs>